With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and uh, we're going live tonight at the same time that the Mets and Rockies are playing. The Mets fell behind 5 nothing uh, in this game, and they're now leading 10-5 to with uh, two runners in scoring position here in the sixth inning. So you know they're playing this game in Coors Field. Well, anyway, uh, tonight's guest is uh, former Mets 360 writer and current Long Island Ducks broadcaster Joe Vasile. Joe, uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, super. Now, before uh, you were with the Ducks, last year you mm-hmm. uh, were a radio announcer for uh, Salem, uh, the Red Sox Class A affiliate. And you got to see one of the guys pitch who the Mets just acquired, and that's uh, Jamie Callahan. Uh, give us your thoughts and any stories you might have about Callahan when you saw him pitch. Um, Jamie Callahan was a guy who, who kind of had a um, almost a tale of two seasons last year. At the beginning of the year, he was very wild, ineffective. And uh, and I, I wrote about this a little bit the other day, uh, if anyone's listening to this and haven't uh, haven't read it there over there at Mets 360, uh, I did a little write up on on Jamie Callahan just on some of my observations from him from watching him pitch for a year. But at the beginning of the year, he was really struggling with his command. And when he was drafted originally as a starter, that was one of his problems also. And uh, one time he's out there against Lynchburg, and they're just they're beating him up. And Paul Abbott, who's the pitching coach last year, goes out to the mound, says something to Callahan, strikes the next guy out, and goes on to allow three earned runs in his final 15 appearances of the season and was probably the most dominant reliever on the team from that point out. And at one point after, you know, a couple appearances in a row where all of a sudden, man, this guy looks good, we asked him, what was that meeting all about? Cause it seemed like that changed everything for you. And he said, he came out and he's like, Callie, you throw 98 with your fastball. Why are you burying sliders and fastball counts? You know, it's easy for guys to take. And that almost just changed his entire demeanor. He was pitching with a lot more confidence uh, for the rest of the year. And I feel like that was really key for him in his development because a lot of times you look at guys and, and you'll tend to scout the stat line or whatever uh, when they're in the minors because you don't have that being able to watch them play like you do in the big leagues. Um, but there's a lot that goes into kind of everything, and confidence uh, is one of the things that 
was just not there for him, and you could see it. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was there, and he was a completely different pitcher. And does one feed into the other? Uh, probably it goes both ways. Um, but it was it was so key for him to, to kind of get his head on straight and, and kind of put that whole past of, man, I couldn't make it as a starter. Now I'm getting batted around as a reliever in high A ball. Uh, and just getting that going and, and being able to trust his stuff that he was going to be able to get outs with it. Uh, he's a guy who I think has, at least last year, I don't know if uh, Boston's tinkered around with his arsenal at all this year. But, uh, you know, when I saw him, he had, he had three good pitches. Fastball was a little bit straight. It's, it's kind of mid-90s, touches upper 90s. Um, he had a good slider that was mid to upper 80s and uh, and kind of a split change that was just – it just developed into this great weapon as the season went along. Um, and really the slider and the splitter are his two big strikeout pitches. Now, when – Mets fans hear about somebody who throws regularly in the mid-90s and can reach the upper 90s and has a little bit of uh, command uh, control issues. Our first thought is uh, Hansel Robles. So tell me what you think about the uh, comparison to uh, Callahan and uh, Hansel Robles. Matt, did we lose you? Joe, did we lose you? Joe, did we lose you? Well, I'm not sure what's going on with uh, with Joe. Uh, we will try to get him back here as soon as we can. I can tell you that uh, here in the, the Mets game live, we have um, gone to the bottom of the six, and Fernando Salas is on, which is not something that you really particularly want to see uh, in Coors Field, but uh, he's got a five-run lead, so hopefully the Mets can get uh, an inning out of him, and uh, hopefully we can get uh, Joe back too. Joe, is that you? You back? Is am I? You, you tell me. Uh, yes. I, yes. Hopefully I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I don't. I don't know what that was. I could hear you the entire time, uh, but uh, but just not not quite sure what all that was. Um, but uh, but to kind of get back to it. I would say his command is probably better than than Robles, and I would say that his ceiling is probably higher than what uh, Hansel Robles' ceiling is. But I would say probably worst case scenario, that's a good that's a good comparison for for probably you know what he could develop into or, or potentially be a little better. All right. Well, the Mets certainly seem to be concentrating on uh, adding to their bullpen depth here at the trade mm-hmm. deadline. But I think that uh, one deal that they made that kind of caught most of us off guard was uh, acquiring uh, former Marlins closer A.J. Ramos. Uh, that deal seemed to come out mm-hmm. of left field. And just wanted to know what you thought of that, about that move. Um, initially, yeah, I was surprised uh, them going out and getting Ramos the way that they did. Uh, I, I guess it makes sense with, you know, all the trades or, or whatever that were in the works for Addison Reed. Uh, at the time, that move kind of allows you to, to move Reed probably a little bit easier and, and have it have a little bit uh, less of a negative impact on the club in 17. Um, but honestly, I, I feel like getting Ramos was, was more of a move with an eye towards 2018 uh, more than anything else. I mean, I, I think with the trading of Duda and Reed, they kind of, sent the message, yeah, you know, we're not necessarily waving the white flag on this here, but, uh, but we're acknowledging we're probably out of it and we're going to, 
we're going to get what we can. And, um, you know, this is me speculating without a leg to stand on, really. I, I would imagine the reason why the Mets went out and got Ramos now was because they felt that if they waited to try and trade for him during the offseason or acquire somebody of his standard during the offseason, they wouldn't be able to or they wouldn't be able to afford to. Um, so I think they felt the need to move quickly on going out and getting Ramos. Uh, I'm happy they did. I think I think he'll be a good part of the bullpen for the rest of this year and, and with an eye towards next year, especially with uh, Jerry's Familia coming back. Uh, I think those two at the back end of the pen are uh, – can be very effective and, you know, help the Mets out. And I like the trade, but I think like you and, and like a lot of Mets fans, I was, uh, I was surprised at them going out and being buyers while also being sellers at the same time. We've been talking about the trades that the Mets made, but let's shift gears here just a little bit and uh, talk about something that all Mets fans have been wanting for uh, quite some time and now, and that's the promotion of Ahmad Rosario, who made his uh, mm-hmm. debut last night, got a hit, also got another hit tonight. Uh, and I just want to know mm-hmm. uh, your thoughts about the uh, promotion. Do you have any thoughts besides about time? Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled that he's up. I remember last time on, uh, I think my crazy prediction was that he was going to come up and win National League Rookie of the Year. So can't do that while he's hit the Las Vegas 51s. Um, but in all seriousness, though, uh, I am happy that he's up. And from the looks of things, I didn't watch the whole game last night, and obviously tonight's game is still going on. Uh, I'm enjoying watching him play, which is uh, which is a nice change uh, of pace from, from watching Jose Reyes out there at shortstop or as Drupal Cabrera or whoever else. And, you know, yeah, you can look at the ball that, that LeMahieu hit last night that went off of his glove, but, boy, that would have been a, a fantastic play if he was able to make it. Um, you know, and there are going to be those kind of rookie growing pains as he goes along. But, uh, you know, he's a special talent. I'm glad that he's finally here. And would it would have been nice to have him here, you know, two, three weeks ago? Sure. Um, but but I'm not quite sure how much of an impact that would have had on, you know, a, a potential pennant race for this year. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's here. And, uh, and through, you know, a game and a half, I'm really enjoying watching him play. To me, the thing that has uh, jumped out at me is just his athleticism, especially compared mm-hmm. to other players that are on the Mets. And sure, you know, 10 years ago, Jose Reyes was probably more yep. athletic than he is, but Rosario just seems like he's got such a bundle of energy. In it. And I know that you saw the play earlier in the game where he hit a ball down the uh, the left field line that went over by the stands and the fan picked it up and 999 mm-hmm. times out of a thousand that plays a, an automatic double but because he was busting it out of the right out of the box he ended up uh, being awarded a triple on the play and I can't imagine when the last time that happened for the Mets yeah and, and you know I feel like that play really says a lot about Rosario I mean you think about it this is a kid who's been hailed as the top prospect in the system for what the last two years, a top five prospect in all of baseball, he could very easily have the attitude of great. I'm in the majors. I'm not going anywhere. I don't have to try to impress or do anything because, you know, I'm a med Rosario, but that's not the attitude that he's out there playing with. He's out there trying to prove himself um, playing with hustle and, and always nice to see a big smile on his face too uh, out there and, and just 
making things happen. And I like the comparison to early Reyes because he was that same way. Those first couple of years, just going out and being that catalyst on both sides of the ball, really, although mostly offensively. Uh, And it's been a long time since the Mets have had a player, it feels like, that that kind of is as athletic as Rosario is. And, uh, I mean, maybe – I don't even know if in his prime David Wright could even qualify for that. It might very well be that, you know, 04 to 07 Reyes – that really had that just raw athletic ability. And uh, it's, it's an awful lot of fun to watch. Well, he doesn't have the athletic ability of his former teammate. Uh, Las Vegas 51 first baseman Dominic Smith is also somebody that we talk about a lot waiting for his arrival. And uh, last night on the radio, Mark Carrig came on and said he expected Smith to be called up in about a week. Uh, does that feel right to you? Or do you think he needs a little more seasoning there down on the farm? Well, I think that he has nothing left to prove, really, at Las Vegas. Um, I mean, since June 20th, he's hitting almost 400, um, you know, with a slugging percentage of almost 700. And, yeah, I get it. It's Las Vegas. It's the Pacific Coast League, and that inflates offense. But, you know, no matter what league you're in, that's uh, he's putting up very impressive numbers. And it all comes down to, for me, if if the organization feels like there's nothing more that he can work on in AAA – uh, there's no sense in, in having him waste any more time than he has to in Las Vegas. Bring him up, get him live major league pitching coming up against him, uh, you know, out there in the field against major league hitters having to make those same plays um, that he's making in AAA on the defensive side. Uh, I'm for it. Um, you know, there's always that fear that you don't want to rush a guy to the majors too soon. I think that's probably a little overblown for hitters probably more so in the case of pitching, you don't want to rush a guy. Uh, But in the case of Dominic Smith, at least Ross stats wise and and the reports that are coming out, uh, it seems like he really doesn't have a whole lot more to prove at the AAA level. And it's time to see if he can get it done uh, up in the bigs. The first two and a half months of the season, Smith was doing his best impersonation of James Loney in that he was getting Mm -hmm. a, a hit or a walk just about every game but he wasn't hitting yep. for any power. And, you know, if you're going to be uh, a starting first baseman in the majors, you've, you've got to have more than a 150 isolated slugging uh, mark in, mm-hmm. in a hitter's ballpark in a hitter's league like the PCL. But then yep. uh, I forget which date you quoted, but mid-June forward, he's just been, he's just been crushing balls. And I think he's got nine mm-hmm. home runs uh, in, in that stretch. And that's really yep. what you want to see. So to me, the question is, is you know, it's fewer than 200 plate appearances. It's 180 something. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. Is, is that enough of what you want to see? And, and I think that's not an easy question to answer. Uh, ordinarily, I think I would say, no, it's not enough. But in this particular case mm-hmm. where, you know, they're not asking him to be a savior, uh, I think they just need to get him up there, get him some reps and, and be in a position where they can evaluate if he's ready to contribute in the major league club for 2018. So while I wasn't really in favor of him before, I think now I've changed my tune a little bit. And I mm-hmm. think I'm ready to see Smith in the majors. Yeah. And I'll give you one caveat to it. If you're going to call him up, you got to play him every day. Uh, I mean, you're not, don't call him up to platoon at first or, or to do anything other than here's, the first base job, you're playing there every single day uh, or 
basically every single day for the rest of the year. Uh, I think that would be one of the worst things they could do is call him up and then have him, you know, ride the bench four or five days a week. Um, I don't know if that means that that's going to necessitate a move of Bruce or whoever in an August trade. I don't know. Uh, or whether they're just going to have to make the decision to sit someone. Um, but I would say that that would be my one caveat to to not wanting to call Smith up at this point is just making sure there's a spot for him. He's Joe Vasile. I'm Brian Jura. You're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We were talking about uh, some of the Mets' top rookies, and uh, you just mentioned Jay Bruce, so let's talk about him. Uh, he's mm-hmm. hit another home run tonight, uh, aiming to become mm-hmm. the uh, first Met to, to drive in 100 runs since David Wright, I think, in 2010. Uh, and I want to know, wow. uh, do RBIs still carry any meaning to you? <sighs> that's, that's a good one. Uh, they do but not necessarily in a full season context. To me, at least, RBIs, you know, obviously in all the advanced stat, you know, kind of new age stats, their importance has taken on, you know, less and less of a role. And I think that if you asked me two years ago, three years ago, you know, what I thought about RBIs, I would say, eh, I hate them. Uh, you know, I basically ignore them. That's not really the case so much anymore. I like him on a game-to-game basis or on a, you know, in a small sample. I, I like him because they tell a story. You know, this guy drove in this many runs. Now, a hundred, I'm not going to do black flips over. It's not like I'm going to say, wow, this guy's a good hitter because he drove in a hundred runs. But you know what? If a guy has four RBIs in a game, I feel like that's that's a pretty important uh, thing and, and a pretty significant thing uh, that tells the story of how he performed in that specific game. Um, and, and to me, at least, that's where a lot of the significance and, and a lot of the meaning of RBIs is. And I feel like, you know, as a broadcaster, uh, that that's probably why I have that kind of lens with it. But uh, to me, that that's where the meaning is. Oh, cool! It's the first time in you know seven, eight years, whatever it is, that a Mets driven in a hundred runs. Uh, you know, that's a nice little footnote. But uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot, I guess, to me uh, in terms of time or anything like that. Let's go off on a little tangent here. Uh, earlier tonight, they were talking about the, all the runs uh, driven in that Michael Conforto has playing uh, batting mm-hmm. leadoff most of the season. And mm-hmm. uh, there's been so much uh, talk about wanting to drop him in the lower in the lineup so he could have that ability to drive in more runs. And just mm-hmm. curious what you think about uh, Conforto batting leadoff as it pertains to RBIs, I guess. You know, and this is probably more just a a general run scored philosophy more than anything else. I, I like Conforto up at the top of the lineup because he's a good on-base guy. Now, is his power, you know, the doubles, the home runs, all that wasted in the leadoff spot because he, you know, when he hits a double, if he's leading off, likely there's not going to be somebody on base because you have the pitcher or he's leading off the inning. Um So I feel like in terms of just helping the team, it would make sense to drop him down to two or four, you know, wherever in the lineup, 
just to make sure that, you know, all right, your guy who's going to go out and hit those doubles that, you know, is going to score a runner from first base, make sure there's somebody on first base when he's doing it. Uh, so that way you're maximizing as a team your run potential and not necessarily just, you know, padding Conforto's RBI stats or, or what have you, you know, just finding more ways for him to drive in runs. Yeah, you should want to do that because you want to help the team score more runs, not necessarily because, well, this guy needs more RBIs or whatever, which hopefully is not the thought process there. All right, well, let's go back down to the uh, minors for here, just a second here. Mm -hmm. And somebody that we've seen uh, at the major league level uh, quite a bit the past few years, Kevin Ploiecki, he's finally putting Mm -hmm. up some uh, nice numbers in Las Vegas. Uh, but every time we see him in Queens, he uh, he doesn't look good at all. And I want to know, do you have any hope left for him? I have a little bit of hope left for uh, left for Kevin Ploiecki. Um, but honestly, uh, I think I think he has one more shot. You know, I give him one more chance to prove can he do it in the majors or can he not? Um, you know, and who knows, maybe he's gone down, made some adjustment, and now things are starting to click for him. But, you know, if you want someone who's going to come up and strike out 30% of the time and roll over on balls to shortstop half the time, you can check out my video of uh, of the batting practice with the Long Island Ducks on Saturday because I can, I can do that <laughs> with the best of them. Uh, but, uh, you know. Is there really an online link for that? Because we need to put that up for the site if there is. Yeah, there's uh it's it's on Twitter. Uh they asked me to, to come in and take a couple hacks uh in the batting cage at Bridgeport on Saturday. Uh and oh, I think I, I tweeted it out. Um so it's, email uh, that it's on to there me. somewhere. Email that to me. I will. When when you find I that will. email that to me, that we'll we'll make that a uh, featured post at the site. Uh, that's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, All right, yeah, well it's, it's um, a nice foul ball. I guess uh, I guess that's a perfect segue into our crazy prediction uh, segment. And uh, mm-hmm. you've been here before, so you know what the drill is. Uh, each week uh, I make a crazy prediction. I ask you to comment on it, and then I ask you to give mm-hmm. me a crazy mm-hmm. prediction of your own. And my crazy mm-hmm. prediction is that the Mets, uh, from August 1st until the end of the year, even though they're 0-1 right now, they're going to finish with a winning record. So how crazy mm-hmm. is that? Honestly, I don't think it's that crazy. Um, when you look at Cespit is coming back and, and getting back into the swing of things, you know, Walker coming back, um, Gazelman's on a rehab. I think he just pitched last night uh, with Binghamton, uh, so he should be back soon. And, you know, if he can be more the pitcher he was at the end of last year as opposed to the beginning of this year, uh, that'll be a big help. Um, you know, maybe one or two other arms. I mean, just looking at the Mets injury report, there's probably out until sometime until August listed after like four or five different guys. Uh, so maybe there's a chance that one or two other guys come back and, and really provide a shot in the arm for the starting rotation or the bullpen here down the stretch. Plus, I think with the addition back of Cespedes and Walker on a day-to-day basis, that strengthens not only the starting lineup, but the bench as well. And if Ahmed Rosario can come in and be a replacement level shortstop, that's a massive upgrade over what the Mets have been getting with Jose Reyes out there every day, um, who I was just looking at. He's been worth uh, negative one uh, wins above replacement uh, on the baseball reference calculation. So, yeah, if he comes in and is exactly replacement level, 
that's still better than uh, than what Reyes has been. And I think the combination of all those factors can help the Mets be a winning team uh, here in these last couple right, months well, of the season. You didn't like mine, so let me uh, let me mm-hmm. hear yours. Sorry. Uh, okay, so I'm going really crazy on this one. Uh, so just bear with me. Uh, I think that Brandon Nimmo establishes himself as a starting outfielder for next year with his play down the stretch here this year. I think he comes up and finally starts to produce at the major league level and makes a strong case uh, to earn a starting outfield job next year alongside Conforto and Cespedes. Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to award you the crazy on that. I I, I think that's crazy. <laughs> I I don't see uh, how. I'm not saying that he couldn't do it. I'm yeah. I'm just saying I don't see how he gets the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. I know he's back now, that's but uh, uh, he uh, he has the leg up on yeah. Lagaris right now. But Lagaris yep. is also rehabbing and should be back mm-hmm. shortly. And I, I see more playing time available for Lagaris just because mm-hmm. they haven't shown any inclination to play Nimmo in, in center field where mm-hmm. probably the most opportunity is available. So I, I'm, yeah. uh, congratulations on, on your uh, crazy prediction. Way out on the limb. Yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't double down on Rosario winning rookie of the year. So no, no, been there, done that. So, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah. All right. Um, one move that, that happened recently that, that really caught me a little bit off guard was that the Mets decided to uh, DFA Josh Edgen. And, you know, in, in a vacuum, that that is okay. It's fine. Edgen is nothing special. He's serviceable. But, you know, you, you think you wouldn't have to struggle too hard to find somebody equivalent to him. But the fact that they ditched him and kept, uh, among others, Josh Smoker and, and Tyler Pill, to me that was a pretty big shock. Um, and then mm-hmm. today on the broadcast they said that he cleared waivers, so he's going to be still in the organization. So I'm I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that they yep. made the, the right yep. move there? Is, is there any case to make for uh, keeping Josh Smoker and Tyler Pill over Josh Eshin? Um, I don't really think so. Uh, And that's the tough one. I think if you were to craft a case against Josh Edgen and and maybe in favor of, you know, Tyler Pill or Josh Smoker, it's that Edgen's 30 and Pill and Smoker are 27 and 28. I mean, they're all pre-arb guys, so it's not like anyone's due for a giant raise this season. Uh, They're all relatively, you know, I mean, Smoker's been what he's been. Pill's been, you know, quad A. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, an edge in at times has been serviceable, but since coming back from, uh, you know, from his injury in 2015, he hasn't been the same pitcher that he was uh, for the three years prior. Again, like you said, though, a serviceable arm out of the bullpen. Um, but yeah, I, the only thing I could think of is they were that confident that he was going to clear waivers um, problem DFAing him. Uh, but yeah, it, it was kind of a surprising move. Um, especially since he's been one of those guys in the organization the last few years, he made it through the lean years, um, you know, was always there when they needed to send him down or bring him back up or ask him to go out there and throw, you know, he was out there and throwing. Uh, I can't ever remember hearing a negative story about Josh Edgen other than, Hey, he gave up a home run or whatever. Um, you know, just kind of clubhouse wise, uh, it just seems uh, 
seemed like kind of a strange move, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the only thing I could think of is well, he's thirty, and the other guys are you know two and three years younger, but uh, you know that that doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of what their effectiveness is or any anything like that. I think the official reason given was that they were concerned about his uh, drop in in strikeout rate mm-hmm. and uh, advance yeah. in walk rate, yeah. but he still had a, yeah. a better uh, yeah. FIP and, and ex-FIP than, than Smoker. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just hard for me to, to wrap around it, but I'm, I'm glad that he's still in, in the organization. So I guess it's not that big of a deal, but I would have been mm-hmm. upset if they lost him because I think he's a major league quality pitcher and they can't possibly have uh, 40 guys who are, are better than, than him, or at least that was my thinking. Mm-hmm. All right, well, anyway, yeah. we've got time for about one more question. So right. um, since we've been talking a little bit about the trade deadline and, and the deals that the Mets made this year, let's turn the clock back to 2015, which is when they got uh, Suspidus. And so mm-hmm. we've had the benefit of two years now and uh, for this, to, to evaluate the suspidus fulmer deal. How do you think history is going to judge that trade? I think history will, will look at it as a win-win deal for uh, for both teams. I mean, obviously, Michael Fulmer and Luis Sessa, and Sessa's, you know, bounced around to a couple different orgs since, but, you know, Fulmer was the crown jewel of the return for them, and he's turned into exactly what I'm sure they would have hoped for him to, uh, you know, a, a front-line starting pitcher for them, and, and moving forward, um, probably going to be one of the anchors of that rotation, especially, you know, as Justin Verlander keeps uh, – you know, getting up there in age, he's, you know, still pitching relatively well, but you know, he's not the same guy he was four or five years ago. Uh, I think Fulmer's going to be the guy in that rotation uh, moving forward. And so from the Tigers' side, I think you have to look at that trade as a win. Now, I'm forgetting exactly who they gave up to get Cespedes from Boston, uh, you know, that off season and, and how that all, you know, shook out there in, in terms of, you know, were they able to turn him into value, but, you know, that's not really important for this conversation. Um, and in terms of, you know, the Mets side, they won the trade too because Cespedes did exactly what they acquired him to do, and that's helped lead them down the stretch in August and September, get them into the playoffs, and get them to the World Series. Uh, it cost them a little bit in the World Series, but, you know, you can point the finger at six or seven different guys who cost them in that World Series you know, it wasn't like he was the goat or anything like that. Um, you know, and then he re-signed. Had a great year last year. Has been hurt a lot this year. But uh, say that if you put me in a time machine and I had the benefit of knowing exactly what Michael Fomer was going to go on to do, and exactly what my uh, you know, his Cespedes was going to go on to do, I'd still pull the trigger on that trade. And I would like to think that if I was on either side, I'd pull the trigger on that trade. Um, especially since going back, Fulmer had been dealing with some injuries in the minor leagues, and he was still a relative question mark. He was in the middle of a breakout, but there were some questions, is, is this a real breakout or is this just a, you know, a, a blip on the radar and then he'll you know, regress a little bit? And obviously it wasn't, um, you know, and he's gone on to be a great pitcher, but uh, I don't think that from the Mets side you can be too upset at giving up Fulmer to get Cespedes because you got to give up talent to get talent. And, uh, and that's what they did. 
Well, we are all out of time. I'd like to uh, thank Joe for joining us again here on the podcast. And please, uh, everyone, uh, tune in uh, next week at uh, 11 o'clock when Fantasy Baseball's Peter Kretzer joins us to talk about the Mets and and MLB as a whole. Well, uh, good night, everyone, and uh, let's uh, cheer on the Mets to the victory. It's 10-5 in the middle of the eighth. All right, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.